0: Get out of Philly, this is the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. I am your host, Dr. R.T. Mullins from the University of Lucerne. A lot of people have been asking me about the Lucerne Master's Program in Philosophy, Theology, and Religions. Today, I'm going to give you a sneak peek into the program. In the Master's Program, we have a lot of important debates on a lot of different topics. So today, I'm going to let you hear a debate that I had with Peter Adamson on the eternity of the world. Did God create out of nothing, or did God eternally create? Let's find out. If you'd like to support the show, you can donate money to my Patreon account or my coffee account. Any donation amount helps me out in so many ways. My student loan provider greatly appreciates all the support that people have already offered. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, you can send me a message at rtmullins.com. Well, ready or not, here I am debating the eternity of the world. Enjoy. all right I want to welcome everyone to the next installment of the Lucerne debate series where we showcase some of the hot topics that we discuss in our master's program in philosophy theology and religions and today we're going to show you two sides of the debate over God and the eternity of the world so I am RT Mullins and I will be arguing for a doctrine of creation out of nothing where the claim that the world has an absolute temporal beginning in the finite past and then we have our very own Professor Peter Adamson, who will be presenting arguments for the eternity of the world. You may remember him from such things as History Without Any Gaps, and the podcast and the amazing book series. And behind me, I've got the one on uh, Indian philosophy, and I've also got some of his books downstairs on like Al-Razi and what and whatnot, so good stuff. All right, so today's debate topic is one that spans the world's religions, and it goes back at least to the time of Plato and Aristotle. Within Hinduism, the doctrine of creation out of nothing is widely rejected in favor of a doctrine of eternal creation. And then within Western thought, there have been fierce debates over whether or not God created an eternal world, or if the idea of an eternal creation is even coherent. And these debates, they became so heated that in 1270, the Catholic Church condemned the doctrine of eternal creation. So as you can see, this is a very controversial topic today. And it fits perfectly within our program where we look at all the controversial things from across the world's religions. So here's what I want to do with my time today. First, I want to define some important terms. Then I want to outline five brief arguments for thinking that the universe has an absolute beginning. Some of my arguments are even going to suggest that the very idea of an eternal creation is just impossible. And then I will hand things over to Peter Adamson and he'll present his arguments. And then we'll give Dario a chance to to field some questions for us uh, and then we'll talk about the program so let's 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 get into this defining some terms okay so the first thing i need to do is just define some basic terms and so the first term to define is eternity so throughout western history the word eternity has been understood in two different ways either a timeless eternity or a temporal eternity to be eternal it just simply means to exist without beginning and without end If you wish to affirm a timeless eternity, you will need to make some additional claims. You will need to add that a timeless being also exists without succession and without temporal location. Because after all, if you're located at a time, you're not doing a very good job at being timeless. Now, if you wish to affirm a temporal eternity, you will need to make some different additional claims. You will be affirming that an eternal eternal being exists without beginning and without end. But you will also be affirming that this being exists with succession and with temporal location so a temporal being has a before and after in its life it does one thing and then another and then another and then it also exists right now now typically when we are inquiring about the eternity of the world we are asking if the world is temporally eternal at least that's how the debate has been historically understood so that's eternity but there's another important concept i need to define because you see, I want to affirm that the universe began to exist, so we have to ask what it means for something to begin to exist. And I'm going to follow a deeply traditional definition of what it means to begin to exist. A being begins to exist if it is preceded by non-existence. This is the definition of begins to exist that it's ubiquitous throughout Jewish, Christian, and Islamic sources. And there are some people who disagree with it, uh, but the definition has been the clear majority, and I see no reason to reject it next i need to define a few other things before i can begin my arguments we're debating different theories of creation and a creation is distinct from an emanation an emanation occurs if god's nature somehow necessitates the existence of the world but a creation is different a creation is supposed to be a free and voluntary act of god so god is free if he can create the universe for a reason and if god has the ability to refrain from creating god does not have to create because god is free to cre- create or not create and with that in mind allow me to define the doctrines of creation ex nihilo and eternal creation as i understand it so a creation ex nihilo occurs if and only if two things are uh, occur so one a particular universe set of universes or all possible universes are freely caused to exist by god and then two There is a pre creation moment or a state of affairs where God exists without a particular universe, set of universes, or all possible universes. So, something quite like this is how the doctrine of creation ex nihilo has been understood by thinkers like Boethius, Moses Maimonides, and Al Ghazali. So, creation ex nihilo says that the universe or the multiverse or just the world has an absolute temporal beginning in the finite past prior to which God existed all alone. Because remember what it means to begin to exist. A thing begins to exist if it is preceded by non-existence. That's why clause two of this definition is so important. That state of affairs where God exists all alone without creation is what distinguishes creation out of nothing from a doctrine of eternal creation. So in order to see this, let's look at a doctrine of eternal creation. So an eternal creation occurs if two things uh, one a particular universe set of universes or all possible universes are freely caused to exist by god because it's a creation not an emanation and then two there is no state of affairs where god exists without a particular universe set of universes or all possible universes so, so here's the big idea so a doctrine of eternal creation says that god always exists with some cosmic stuff god always exists with a universe of some sorts you see this affirmed by different thinkers like Avicenna, Ibn Taymiyyah, Ramanuja, and then a contemporary thinker like Thomas J. Ord. So the doctrine of creation, eternal creation, says that God and the, and the world are co-eternal. And then the doctrine of creation out of nothing says that God and the world are not co-eternal. The world has an absolute temporal beginning in the finite past. Now, here are five brief reasons for thinking that the world has an absolute temporal beginning in the finite past. So reason number one, the faith teaches that the world has an absolute temporal beginning. Now, this is an argument from theological authority, and not everyone's going to be persuaded by that. I know that, but some people will be. If you read the works of Boethius or Sagigon or Moses Maimonides, Al-Ghazali, Thomas Aquinas, all these different thinkers, you will see them make appeals to theological authority. They all say that their, their religion teaches that God created the world with an absolute temporal beginning. And then they also consider other arguments for their positions but the teachings of the faith is one important reason reason number two standard big bang cosmology so according to the standard model of big bang cosmology the universe is about 13 and a half billion years old so the universe began to exist 13 and a half billion years ago give or take a billion years depending on the calculation now notice that i said standard big bang cosmology Because there are other cosmological models that assert that the universe does not have a beginning. But those other models do not enjoy the same empirical confirmation as the standard Big Bang model has. And then there are also non-standard Big Bang models that assert that our universe began to exist, but that it was preceded by a different universe. And proponents of the doctrine of eternal creation, at least today, they're usually happy with this version, because it, it might suggest that God has always existed with a universe of some sort. However, as the cosmologist George Ellis points out there, these other models are not capable of being empirically confirmed. In principle, other universes beyond our own cannot be empirically investigated. So these non-standard models of the big bang cannot offer any empirical confirmation of an eternal world. Number three, the impossibility of reaching an actual infinity through successive addition. So this idea is very popular to raise throughout historical and contemporary debates. You see this from thinkers like John Philoponus, Al Ghazali, Bonaventure, and in today, William Lane Craig. Though philosophers, they, they usually get really obsessed with these unnecessarily complicated thought experiments to try to demonstrate the impossibility, the point is very simple. If you start counting now, you will never be able to count up to an actual infinity. And if you start counting down from now to discern how many previous moments there have been, then you will never reach an actual infinity an actual infinite cannot be obtained through successive addition. So here's the big idea. If there is anything that is obvious about our world, it is the fact that our world undergoes a constant successive addition of moments. It does not matter what ontology of time you affirm, all of the major ontologies of time affirm real succession in the world. And that contradicts the very idea that our world can have an actually infinite past since it is impossible to reach an actual infinite through successive addition. Well, the doctrine of eternal creation is typically understood to be affirming an actual infinite past to the world, but this is impossible since the world quite obviously contains a constant successive addition of moments. So an eternal creation is impossible. Reason number four, eternal creation is incompatible with divine freedom. So remember what I said earlier, that God is free if God has the ability to create or not create. The ability to create or not create requires that God have options open to him but if God is eternally creating, then God does not have options. God is simply eternally doing whatever he is eternally doing. Like if God is eternally creating, then he never has the opportunity to do anything else. Because think about it, like when would he do something else? When would he have an opportunity to do something else? Because God's eternal present is the only moment for God to act, and he's eternally acting. He has no other moments to do anything else. Now, there's there's this guy named John Duns Scotus, and he makes a valiant effort to find a moment for God to have options. Scotus says that there's a series of logical moments embedded into God's single eternal moment. And at the first logical moment, God is not creating. At the next logical moment, God is creating. And this is really ingenious. Like I, I find it very fascinating. But it lands us in a contradiction. From God's single timeless moment, God is acting and not acting. From all eternity, God is creating and not creating. I'm sorry, but affirming an eternal contradiction does not somehow magically grant God freedom. Now, reason number five. Causes are temporally prior to their effects. I take this to be a very plausible basic principle about causation. It fits with our everyday experience of causation. This basic principle about causation is also widely affirmed in most discussions within the philosophy of time. In fact, a very popular theory about the arrow of time says that the direction of time is grounded in the direction of causation. And here's why this is so important for the debate today. If God causes the universe to exist, then the cause must be before the effect. And that's precisely what you see in the doctrine of creation ex nihilo. There is a state of affairs where God exists all alone, then a subsequent state of affairs where God exists with a universe. God, the cause, must be before the existence of the universe. So if God is the cause of the universe, then God must exist before the universe. So the very idea of God causing the universe to exist entails that the universe cannot possibly be co-eternal with God. Of course, there are objections, so we need to consider objection time. I want to consider, uh, before concluding, one very common objection to my view. Some philosophers have affirmed that there can be eternal causes with eternal effects. If there can be eternal causes with eternal effects, then my causal principle is false. But here's the question that I have to anyone who raises this objection. Can you offer a plausible example of an eternal cause with an eternal effect? And this question is very important. The claim that causes are prior to their effects is very plausible. It's something that we regularly experience, and it's widely affirmed within the philosophy of time and within sane physics. Now, notice that I said sane physics and not theoretical physics that is nothing more than playing with numbers that cannot possibly represent physical reality. If you want to reject my my plausible causal principle, you're going to need to offer a plausible counterexample, but I do not believe that there are any plausible counterexamples. Every counterexample that I'm aware of is deeply implausible. All of the counterexamples immediately give rise to a host of conundrums that that it cannot answer, and as a general rule of thumb, a view is implausible if it immediately gives rise to conundrums that it cannot answer. So for example, the standard platonic counterexample is that of an eternal foot eternally causing an eternal footprint in some eternal sand. And this immediately raises several metaphysical and epistemological conundrums that cannot plausibly be answered. This counterexample seems to violate even the weakest principle of sufficient reason or explanation. So I mean, like, how did this foot get there? Where did the sand come from? Why is this foot eternally standing precisely where it is? It could be a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right. Why is it right there? this platonic counterexample immediately gives rise to questions it cannot answer and is thus implausible and then second why should i even think there can be eternal effects a very ancient view is that eternal things are necessary things and thus do not require further explanation explanations bottom out at necessity within the context of the present debate there is a long line of thought which says that if you discover an eternally existent thing then you have discovered a necessary thing so you've reached the bottom of explanations so if the world is eternal then the world is necessary in which case the world does not have a cause for its existence thus god is not the cause of the world i want to give one final problem before resting my case so here's one final problem for this objection to my view the objection equivocates on the word eternal and i'm not the first person to notice this thomas aquinas also pointed this out Typically, those who affirm the doctrine of eternal creation, they also affirm that God is timelessly eternal. So a great example of this comes from Proclus. So Proclus argues that creation ex nihilo is false and that a doctrine of eternal creation is true. And one of his arguments is that eternal causes have eternal effects. But Proclus thinks that God is timeless and that the world is temporal. So his argument equivocates on the word eternal. So you need to clean up the argument to avoid equivocation. How do you do that? Well, here's one attempt. Premise one, if God timelessly causes the world to exist, then the world is timeless. I got rid of the equivocation, but that's not going to help the argument because it faces a very obvious modus tollens. The world is not eternal. The world is not timeless because I'm doing one thing and then another and then another, and I exist right now, not timeless. Therefore, God does not timelessly cause the world to exist. That's not going to help anyone who wants to defend a doctrine of eternal creation. But what about someone who affirms divine temporality? So Ibn Taymiyyah, he affirms that God is temporally eternal, and he also rejects creation out of nothing, and he affirms a doctrine of eternal creation. How would someone like that clean up the argument? Well, I guess the first premise might go like this. Number one, if God temporally causes the world to exist, then the world is temporal. This does not obviously lead to a doctrine of eternal creation. Someone like me is just going to come along and say, my original causal principle, it should be at play here. Causes must be temporally prior to their effects. And in fact, Ibn Taymiyyah seems to assume my causal principle. He says that any given thing that God creates has a beginning. Any given created thing is preceded by a state of non-existence. Well, that's not going to help his case for an eternal creation. Now, it is possible to say that everlasting causes have everlasting effects, but that lands us in my previous objection. You still need to give a plausible example of an everlasting cause with an everlasting effect, and we don't have any of those. So my objection to the plausibility of eternal causes with eternal effects still stands. And with that, I will rest my case for the world having an absolute temporal beginning in the finite past. Okay, I'm going to stop sharing and then we will hand things over to Peter.
1: Okay, thanks. That was great. Um, Systematically misleading, but still very persuasive. Okay, so um, let me start by doing something similar to what Ryan just did, which is a bit of ground clearing which actually will also offer me the chance to respond to a few things he said. So let's start with the. Um, uh, what I'm going to do, actually, I should say in advance, is give you sort of three kinds of reasons to think the universe is eternal. And these basically come from theology, physics, and epistemology. And you'll see that, funnily enough, I'm going to use a lot of premises that Ryan used in his argument against the eternity of the world. So first, let's start with theology. Then let's assume that God is omniscient and omnipotent, and and maybe omnibenevolent, but that won't come into it. So, what does it mean for him to be omnipotent? It means, let's say, that he can do anything that's not logically impossible, okay? So, I think the first thing to realize when you're talking about whether God would or could create an eternal universe is that if God can do anything that's logically possible, then he could create an eternal universe as long as an eternal universe is logically possible or he could create a non-eternal universe if a non-eternal universe is logically possible in other words it's up to him right so this point about divine freedom god can do anything he wants prima facie what that tells us is that god can either create a, an eternal universe or a non-eternal universe unless we come up with a, an argument that's so strong that we can rule one of these out right so, so actually, Ryan mentioned Maimonides and Aquinas as people who turn to scripture to find out whether the universe is eternal or not. And the reason they do that is that they think that rational argument cannot decide the issue. So they think that, um, the, that God could have done either. So the only way we know whether the universe is eternal or not is that God tells us in scripture so that means that the bar is actually very high on both sides so we need to give an argument to rule out even the possibility of god having created an eternal universe and that's what ryan just tried to do or my job is to rule out that god could have created a non-eternal universe so in other words god has to create an eternal universe why would we think that especially since given as ryan said we want god to be free so we might think it's a very good proof of his freedom if God chooses to create something after not creating. Okay. But fundamental insight on the from the eternalist, God doesn't just do things for no reason. He doesn't do things at random. He's perfectly wise. If he wanted to create a universe, he would have created a universe as soon as he realized that it would have been a good idea to create a universe. And that would, of course, have been always because God timelessly or eternally, depending on whether you think God is subject to time, um, knows that it's a good idea to create a universe. So why would he kind of wait around to create the universe and then finally do it? It's like, okay, now I'm waiting until Thursday at two in the morning. Uh, now, why not one in the morning? Why not Wednesday? Why not two years ago? Right, Or why not later? So this is an argument that we find in antiquity and the Middle Ages. Richard Strauby called it the why not earlier argument. And basically what we're seeing here is that if God created a universe that begins at one moment in time, rather than being eternal, then God would have to do something completely arbitrary. Um, By the way, a corollary. So Ryan mentioned that a lot of the eternalists think that God is timeless. But actually, so do all the other people who think that God has created a temporally originated universe they also think that god is timeless actually so um, in a way we've got a puzzle either way so we have a non-temporal god creating a temporal world and the thing that ryan kept invoking and put a lot of stress on is that we want god as the cause to be temporally prior to the universe because he thinks ryan thinks that causes have to precede their effects and he thought there were kind of puzzles about eternal causes with eternal effects But actually, what the eternalist wants is not, in the first instance, an eternal cause with an eternal effect. All they want to do is show you that a cause can be simultaneous with its effect. So it's a similar uh, example that I was going to use, which is sort of like the one about the foot in the sand. So think about this. I'm holding up a stapler with my hand, and my hand is currently causing, right now, the stapler to be floating in midair. Or not fallen right and i'm not causing the staple or to be still still at this height one millisecond from now i'm causing it to be where it is right now and in fact um avicenna one of the greatest philosophers of the islamic world who's a great proponent of eternalism says that causes can only be causes of simultaneous effects they're never causes of things in the future not even a little bit in the future because those things don't exist yet So the relationship between cause and effect demands that the cause is simultaneous with the effect. If God is eternal, then so is the universe. I mean, if God is temporally eternal, then then he's always a cause. So you will always have the universe as its effect simultaneously with him. If God is timeless, then simultaneity is obviously kind of a strange idea, but the point will still be that God's being timelessly, timelessly a cause will um, make it so that the universe always exists, right? Notice that a timeless God it, that's supposed to go from not creating the universe to creating the universe sounds extremely paradoxical, right? So I think that, that's arguably incomprehensible, right? Okay, so that's, that's one kind of consideration, a consideration from sort of philosophical theology. Another kind of consideration is, and maybe just to sum up what I said, what I said is that God is perfectly wise. He doesn't do things at random, so he wouldn't if he knows it's a good idea to create the universe, he wouldn't go from not doing it to doing it. And even if he thought he wanted to go from not doing it to doing it, he wouldn't be able to randomly pick a time to create the universe. And furthermore, since he's eternal, either timelessly or not, he's always a cause. So his effect should always be there. And what we mean by that is just that the effect is simultaneous with the cause. Okay, so that's theology. Physics, so Ryan mentioned physics as well. Um, At least pre-modern physics is very much on the side of eternalism, and in a couple of ways. One way is that if a cause is going to act upon something, there has to be something on which it acts. So is a point that Aristotle makes. So Aristotle talks about this in terms of potentiality. You could think about it in simple terms as like if a carpenter is going to make a table, then she needs some wood to make the table out of. Similarly, if God is going to create a universe, then he has to create the universe out of something, namely matter, right? And he could create the matter first, you might think, but what will he create the matter out of? So the idea in pre-modern physics that you need to have, and maybe even in modern physics, that in order to act, you need something to act on shows that there has to always be something there that God is acting on to create this supposedly originated universe but then we have to ask ourselves well what would this potential stuff be before it was organized as universe would it be some kind of chaotic mess well that sounds hard to understand it's probably better to just say the universe as we see it is eternal than to say that there's just like bare potentiality or matter or something waiting around for God to actualize it and turn it into a universe even worse, though, and more paradoxical is what Ryan was saying, which is that we have nothing, sort of like an empty universe, is I guess what we're supposed to imagine here, and then bam, or like empty space, so to speak, except there's probably no space either. But there's there's some state of affairs in which there's nothing, and then into this nothingness, God creates a universe. Um, again, there's nothing for him there, I mean, by hypothesis, there's nothing there out of which he could make such a universe. Even worse, what there now we get into like a really difficult question, which is what is time? <laughs> and we're not going to be able to sort that out this evening. But certainly it's a very common thought in pre-modern physics that time is somehow the measure of motion or is measuring something else to do with bodies. So this is Aristotle's definition of motion, for example. So if there are no bodies, if there's no universe, then there's no time, which means that this thing that Ryan kept saying, and in fact, defined as being absolutely crucial to his view, namely that there is a time at which the universe does not yet exist. That's an incoherent thought in pre-modern philosophy, and maybe even still, because you have to have some time where there's nothing going on that time could measure. So also Aristotelian physics, and maybe physics in general, is also against the idea of creation from nothing. But finally, and I think maybe most kind of surprisingly and interestingly is epistemology and epistemology is a study of knowledge, right? So what we're talking about here is something like how does science work? How does knowledge work? And I actually think that the people who asserted the eternity of the universe were most of all driven by this consideration. So, and it actually goes back to something Ryan said, I think on his very last slide, which is this... Correspondence between necessity and eternity. So, in the Aristotelian tradition, and I think this is also quite intuitive in a lot of ways, if you're talking about philosophy, philosophical knowledge of the highest order, so something we might call science, then what you're talking about is truth that could not be otherwise. Because if it could be otherwise, then you could be wrong about it, right? So, we're talking about rock solid general. Knowledge of universal features of the cosmos. These are things that could not be otherwise. And they also have to be things that are always true. So Aristotle actually, in his work on the philosophy of science, says that scientific knowledge is always true. I mean, what you're knowing in scientific knowledge is always true, is necessarily true, and it's universally true. Which means that if Ryan were correct and the universe was created with a first moment in time, we wouldn't know anything. At least we wouldn't know anything in the very strict sense that Aristotle wants to or associates with science. Because suppose I, suppose I take myself to know something. So I know that giraffes are ungulates, for example. Or I, if you don't know what an ungulate is, I could know that giraffes are mammals. Okay, so I know that giraffes are mammals. Well, no, actually, I don't. Because if I had scientific knowledge of giraffes being mammals, then I would have to have knowledge of something that's always true and is necessarily true but if the universe only came into existence whatever five minutes ago five million years ago however long ago it's supposed to have happened, what was it 12.5 billion years whatever, it doesn't matter right give or take um, depending whether it was Wednesday or Thursday so that's something that is sometimes true right everything is something that's sometimes true except for things about God because the universe is temporally limited um now of course in modern in the modern day we don't think that giraffes have been eternal we don't or i mean the species of giraffe is eternal but we do maybe think that there are some necessary truths that science can grasp for example the laws of physics and these are not truths that are on the order of things that sort of start being true and then stop being true or vice versa these are just permanent features of the universe that's what science does it grasps permanent unif- features of the universe if you deny the eternity of the universe then there are no permanent features of the universe because the universe is not permanent so i think that's actually a consideration that drove a lot of philosophers uh, especially in the Aristotelian tradition to embrace the eternalist thesis um so as i say i mean i think there are there are arguments on both sides maybe the strongest argument in the pre-modern position in pre-modern period against eternity is this thing about counting up moments like could you how how would you ever get through an infinity of moments to get to the present day and that's a good argument for Ryan's side because it would show that it's actually impossible for the universe to be eternal right my side needs to show that the universe could not have been created with the first moment in time and to do that you have to allude to things like, well, it's impossible for the Earth to be a first moment in time, right? Because there would have to be a moment before that first moment, and then there'd be nothing for that time to measure. So it's an incoherent thought. But um, so you can see that they were really torn, actually. And I think the ones who went for eternalism actually were not driven so much by the need to defend some particular version of God. They were actually driven by the need to uphold Aristotelian science. Okay, thanks.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. This is great. Uh, So now we have some time for questions, and then Dario will talk about the master's program. So we've got a few minutes for some questions. So, yeah, it's okay. So, yeah, do use the hand feature. Um, So, Anthony Rowden, there we go. All
2: right. Um, I just had a question, I guess, about your presentation, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I was thinking about reason four. Um, and if I remember correctly, it was about God. Uh this had something to do with like God's uh freedom and like God um I can't remember exactly, but uh the thought was something like I i wasn't really sure why God couldn't like say God is creating eternally, um, why God couldn't stop from creating eternally and let whatever is whatever is created just kind of exist there. And but if you're like, well, I have a problem with this because it seems arbitrary, God's just choosing at some point to you know, stop eternally creating. It's like, well, what's the difference on your view where God exists timelessly alone and then at some point, you know, chooses to create. Um, so it's like a kind of a similar kind of thing on both your views.
0: Yeah, no, I think I, I see the kind of parallel you're trying to draw out. Um, as you know, but I didn't talk about in the in my presentation, like I reject timelessness. I think divine timelessness is, is completely incoherent, uh, so not possibly true. Um, so... What I would personally do is just go, well, timelessness is false. Full stop. Um, and what you've pointed out is just a weird conundrum for timelessness. So more reasons to just reject timelessness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but on my own view, where God's temporal, yeah, you would have to have a reason for why God would stop creating. Um, and then I think the reason would be once you cause something to exist, like, well, it's there. You don't, you don't need to cause it to exist like you don't need to create it again um is there like another like kind of like plot twist
2: though that you're thinking or i don't know like maybe i don't know god's creating a bunch of trees and stuff like that and then god like says oh this is enough trees for now and then like maybe later starts you know but if you're like well this is an arbitrary moment it's like well on your view there's this arbitrary starting point right to the beginning of the universe or whatever oh
0: on my okay so yeah on my view now this needs a little bit more detail um so on my view, it's not the case that it's an arbitrary moment so this like why didn't God create sooner so my claim is that God is time itself um which is wild Mm. um and so I think it's a divine attribute in the and so the idea is that time is this natured entity that makes change possible it's the source of moments and it's the thing that unifies a series of moments into a coherent timeline so when God exists all alone um well there's a moment because a moment is a way things are but could be subsequently otherwise Uh, and so that first moment never begins to exist because it's not preceded by non-existence so it's just God just hanging out uh and so why would God why didn't God create sooner he couldn't create sooner there is no sooner so the first available moment given the nature of causation that causes are prior to their effects the the first available moment is the next moment when God makes things be subsequently otherwise that is a super insanely quick snapshot uh, of of like my view but I've got some publications on this where I try to Tease out how I answer the sooner objection because it's it's a good one. It's a really good objection to my view. Yeah, I'll let yeah. other people go. Cool, awesome. uh I think uh, Dan Linford was next, and then Chris Stockman, um and then Ramon looks like you in the chat. He's got a question for Peter. So so Dan, Chris, and then Ramon. I need to check the chat.
3: uh Great. So uh Ryan, your your second reason uh, appealed to big bang cosmology, and um, I was wondering if you could. Interact with sort of two issues, two challenges for that argument. Um, the first is the malament and Manchak theorem. Uh so since the 1970s, a series of results have emerged in uh philosophy of physics that appear to show um that no then a very wide variety of different space-times, uh, no observer could ever amass enough data to tell that their um universe as a whole or their uh, the totality of physical reality had a a uh, beginning and the other issue is um is the physics horizon that among both physicists and philosophers of physics there's a consensus that at early times in the universe's history um there must have been some other sort of physics going on that we don't currently have a theory of and so then the um there just wouldn't be grounds for saying uh whether or not the uh space-time had a the kind of boundary that we would call a beginning. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So the first point is the universe could be significantly bigger than I could investigate.
3: Uh, So no. So the first point is that the um, so in a uh, in in a space time in which um, relativity is at least empirically adequate, the only data that any observer can gather is from their past light cone. Right. And given any collection of of past light cones in a wide variety of space times you can construct another space time has a very different set of global features Mm -hmm. and so there's there's then no reason to think that we could infer uh the global enough about the global structure of our space time that we inhabit to know that the Big Bang was the beginning of the totality of of physical reality
0: I see okay yeah good um so the long story short is I'm an anti-realist about uh relativity theory both uh, special relativity um well but you
3: certainly yeah. think that relativity is empirically adequate empirically adequate i guess but uh, yeah, that's yeah. all it feels to right like i don't need anything more than that yeah
0: yeah so like in, in me it's just like flippantly saying i'm an anti-realist about this um it undermines the case for the empirical science which is wh- one of the reasons why i didn't spend too much time dwelling on it because the science could easily change in a couple years so so yeah, no, I think that I think that's right. So I think overall, these sort of considerations uh I think make reason number two tenable yeah. at best. Yeah. So I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good question. Uh Chris and then Ramon and then uh Heian, I think is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
3: hey. So I was uh wondering if you thought... these Source libertarian view of freedom could still uphold God's freedom in creating, even if it's an eternal universe.
1: Mm,
0: okay, so so source meaning God, as long as God's the source of His action,
3: in without leeway, so He doesn't. Yeah, need the, so like as an yeah. yeah, so like other other alternatives might be uh, I might be getting it mixed up, but uh, necessary but or sufficient but not necessary for freedom. Yeah,
0: I've thought about this for a while, and. One of my reasons for rejecting timelessness is if that's the best you could do for divine freedom, then you're saying God's perfectly free. He he just never has any choices. He necessarily never has any choices. And that feels super weird because uh, I, I, I lose my grasp very quickly of what it would mean for God to have choices. But I mean, as, as Peter will be able to tell me like better than I can, there are lots of people in the tradition who will, the Western traditions will go... I've got an answer to this so i don't know peter do you have something you want to add to this one
1: yeah so i mean i think it sort of goes along with the point about causation so if what god is doing is just sustaining the universe in existence for whenever he's (laughs) whenever it exists then he's choosing to do that and at least avicenna would say that he's choosing to do it even if he's necessarily doing it because Everything for him everything about God is necessary, right? So, um, I mean, maybe that just shows that they're not libertarians when they say things like that, because it sounds like a, a kind of compatibilist view according to which as long as nothing is forcing God to do it, then he's free and he's choosing to. But I, I also think that, um, pe- I mean, for sure, people who have a timeless God but also people let's say let's forget about timelessness let's imagine someone who is a libertarian god and this god is eternally making certain choices right so i i don't i think the mistake that aristotle made actually and ryan repeated probably for dialectical reasons is to think well if god is eternally doing something then there's no time left at which he could do anything else so he can't do it and That can't be right. So, like God always, for example, God for sure always chooses not to torture children to death for no reason, right? But that the fact that he never would choose to do that doesn't immediately show that he couldn't, right? I mean, maybe he couldn't for other reasons, but it might just mean that he's got a really good reason never to do it, right? And like he wouldn't even consider it, but that doesn't mean he couldn't. And there's lots of things that we could do that we wouldn't even consider doing, right? So I don't think the fact that God eternally does something or fails to do something has anything to do with whether he could do it or not.
0: Excellent. Okay, right. Ramon, did you want to ask your question or do you want me to ask it for you? Is Ramon still in the, still around?
1: So it's a very good question. <laughs>
0: Okay. Oh, Ramon wants me to ask. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I can't do Ramon's accent, so I'll just do it in my own voice. Uh, So he's got a question for Peter, uh, the point about the permanent features of the universe. So couldn't it be enough for any permanent features, for example, laws, to be permanent relative to the universe itself?
1: You could have done a different comedy accent. (laughs) Couldn't (laughs) it be enough for any permanent (laughs) features? Yeah, see,
0: see. (laughs) Come on. Okay.
1: So yeah, that's a great point. So, So I think, and in fact, I think this is what they eventually work around to. So, because this is a real problem for the medieval philosophers. So they are, because the one, of course, the majority view in medieval period is Ryan's view, not the Avicenna eternalist view. So they're very worried about how you get Aristotelian science to work in this non-eternal universe, because it says right there in Aristotle, that that's not okay, right? So what they do is they say that it's conditional. So this is, I think what you mean by saying it's relative to the universe. So what they would say is, well, the, the rule or what you know is giraffes will be mammals whenever they exist and whenever they exist, turns out to not be all the time, but since whenever there were giraffes, right? Um, so it's, so it, I mean, it's still quite weird and very un-Aristotelian because it converts all Aristotelian first principles two hypothetical propositions right which is absolutely not what the aristotelians normally would have wanted that they're kind of forced into it because of exactly this problem so that's that's a really good point ramon
0: interesting okay so one final question and then we will turn things over to dario so Hyan, did you want to ask the question uh, or did you want me to ask it I Okay, I'll just ask it. So this one's for for Dr. Adamson again. So one of your arguments was about God waiting for an arbitrary time to create the universe, whereas your other argument involved a conception of time where time only exists if something is happening. Can the conception of time in your second argument be used to rebut your first argument by saying that God waiting is an incoherent idea considering time doesn't exist if nothing is happening?
1: Right. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're getting at. I think the key thing to realize here is that the first argument is like an ad hominem argument. So it's the eternalist is saying to the temporalist, to the non-eternalist, well, you think that before, supposedly before the universe exists, there would be all these times and God would have to pick one, right? Now, of course, we know that that's that's an incoherent notion anyway, because of the nature of time. You can't have an empty universe with time." so there's other reasons why this idea of empty time wouldn't work but even like granting it for the sake of argument to the anti-eternalist we then have this other argument which is the why not earlier argument right so it's kind of like um plan a and plan b so plan a is well i grant i grant you just for the sake of argument that there could be time before the universe exists and then i use the why not earlier argument but plan b is by the way there couldn't be any such time in any case right so your your view is wrong for two reasons they kind of build on each other
0: excellent thanks everyone we need to get to dario uh, and then we'll have to end things for today but this is this is good chat i love all the questions that are still coming in and there you have it another episode of the reluctant theologian podcast stay tuned for more episodes on philosophical theology